Hello and welcome to American Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Simonson. Today's guest is singer-songwriter Lisa Mitz. It's 2019 and Lisa is currently nominated for a number of independent music awards, which will be decided on later this summer. In this episode, we learn how Lisa developed from leading worship in a small congregation to being a celebrated independent singer-songwriter. We talk about the recording process and why she appreciates being referred to as a multi-genre artist. We discuss how Lisa's own experience with trauma contributed to an award-winning music video and how she is working to help victims of sex trafficking. We learn how her and her husband's search for truth led to their writing multiple books, starting a ministry, and moving to Israel at one point and back to the Seattle area. As a warning, there is sensitive content in this podcast, so please beware for sensitive ears. Also, I do provide some closure at the end of this podcast, so stick around for that. As always, thank you for joining us on the American Podcast. Make sure to subscribe and find us on social media. And now I present my conversation with singer-songwriter Lisa Mitz. Thank you for having me. Definitely, definitely. So tell us about what you're doing right now. You're a singer-songwriter. Just yeah, tell us what's going on with you right now. Wow, I'm yeah. I've been at this for ten years as a singer-songwriter. I also started as a worship leader, actually. Um, but in the last several years, I've had just really, I think, all the the seeds that I've sown are starting to pop and blossom. So we've been performing a lot with my band. Um, we've also been recording, uh, as you know, which we'll talk about. I, I've had. Several new songs come out, music videos, um, nominations for two big, the biggest independent music awards um, globally. So I'm super excited about that. And um, yeah, just, you know, and life, of course, family and everything else that goes with it. But <laughs> That's great. So tell us about these uh, songs that right now, what award shows and what are you nominated for? So the first award show that I was nominated for is the ISSA, International Singer-Songwriter Association. And um, that actually starts out where your fans um, and supporters nominate you and vote for you to even get into the finalists. Once you're in the finalists, then the judges panel will award. That show will be taking place in Atlanta on August 3rd. And I'm nominated in four categories um, singer songwriter of the year, song of the year. Um, I think it's artist of the year and rising star of the year or sorry, female vocalist of the year, female rising star of the year. So yeah, so I'm super excited about that. Um, and then the next one that I was nominated for, which didn't come from fans, this was totally from a judges panel. Um, is the Josie Music Awards, which is quickly in the last five years has grown to become the largest globally of um, in independent music artists, um, multi-genre. So I am nominated for five categories there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes, you know, multi-genre artist of the year. And I'm kind of drawing a blank now, but a whole bunch of <laughs> others. Plus video of the year, music video of the year, inspirational song of the year. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, multi-genre entertainer of the year. So, yeah, it's like been wow, just a whirlwind this last. Yeah, and full disclosure, that video I actually directed. Absolutely, yeah. you did, and you did an amazing job. And we are definitely going to pray and believe that that it's going to win. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that uh, that experience of doing the music video. What yeah. was that like for you? Wow. So it was such a dream because you know I. 
I've had just two other music videos, one professionally done by a director, which I know we're going to talk about, um, Where Has Love Gone? Um, but that was seven years ago. The other one I did was about eight years ago. That was done very, it was more like in the studio as I was singing um, a title cut of that same album that Where Has Love Gone came off of. But so it's been seven years and um, I have desire to do a music video so much, you know, especially today as an independent artist, everybody has music videos and, you know, with just so much going on and investment and time and everything, I needed a new song also, I felt like. So I was inspired to write a song that was really, uh, for me, what I would call a bridge song. It wasn't a necessarily Christian song. I mean, does have that um, under foundation to it but it's it's actually up for inspirational song of the year because it really my heart's desire was that this song and music video would inspire people of all backgrounds to know that who they are is enough you know this the line just as you are is enough uh, the title cut being to be loved um, like the ocean deep to be loved so real and so that I think is the cry of so many people's hearts today is that they really don't know if everybody knew how loved they were by God, you know, if everybody knew how special they were, they would stop being jealous, they would stop being insecure, you know, so that's really the message of that song. So the music video was everything and more that I had envisioned thanks to you, and you really did such a great job. Um, But just everything from the location to the drone photography to the whole feel of it, um, the way you took the lyrics and um, just, it was just so creative the way you, ins- you know, brought inspiration. It was like the song itself and the video brings the song just to a whole different level of life. People see it and they just go, wow, that was incredible. And that's really the response I've had all over social media. My email list, people are just really blown away by that video. And watching that video, I don't know if anyone will realize how cold it was. Oh my God. <laughs> Never. I still get cold thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. It was cold on that beach with the wind, and oh. and you're having to wear clothes that weren't very well winter. insulated. No. Yeah. And I think it took me two days to thaw out from that, but it was all worth it in the long run. <laughs> well, that's so great. Well, uh, maybe we'll talk to you after the awards yeah. and see how those went. And have you ever been to an award show like this? No. Okay. Super excited. So we're going to one in August, and then Josie Awards will be September. So how did you get started in music? I was raised in music. My dad um, was actually uh, had the opportunity to um, audition for the Metropolitan Opera. He was a tenor, had an incredible voice. But he actually went on. I'm Jewish. Um, he went on to become a, cantor, a rabbi, and he had a cantorial voice. So he did um, both of that. But I grew up, um, you know, with music all around. My parents were very much into opera. I never really got into opera, but um, they were always taking me to shows, theater. Um, I, I grew up on the piano. I had piano since I was six year, five or six years old. I had voice lessons. I... Uh, became a music director at a camp when, you know, as soon as I could be a counselor, I uh, directed the drama, the theater productions. Um, so yeah, that was, and then I went on to college, the University of Florida, and was a music major, classical piano major. But after 
a year, year and a half of playing in front of juries and um, practicing in a, a tiny, a much smaller room than this that we're in right now. Um, I was like, get me out. I got to do something else. So I actually went in, I changed my major and became a broadcast production major. Okay. Okay. In journalism and communications. Yeah. Did you do much in broadcasting after college? Um, I just, I mean, I interned at local when I would go home, you know, I would intern and stuff at local news stations, but I did go on and got a job at um, KRON, um, NBC affiliate in San Francisco for not very long. It was like a year while my husband was finishing um, his internship and his master's program for acupuncture. And then we moved back. So, yeah. Okay. And after that, we got married and I, I never really went back into that field. I kind of went to support him a lot. So it's been seven years since you did a, a music video, yes. professional video. Tell us about that other video that you worked on. We had been living in Israel for four and a half years. We moved with our four kids in 2006, which is another amazing story. <laughs> um, and at the end of 2010, uh, beginning of 2011, really, January of that year, we moved back. And I had been working on my first two professional CDs with Alan Stone. This is before Alan became super famous, like he is now as an R&B artist. Um, and I met him through an awesome friend that's become a friend now, Derek Hoyam, who owned Rain On Me Productions. Alan, um, we had become friends, and he, I was able to share my story um, especially what happened to me, um, which we can, we can talk about in a little while. But Alan was so blown away, I think, by my story that he, um, he had said to me, you know, I think we need to do um, a third CD, and this time we need to really make it about your story through song. You know, you're just, and I'll, he goes, and I'll help you with it. I'll co-write it with you. And I was like, okay, cool. My first two albums had been, because we lived in Israel, they were really praise and worship. I was, you know, leading worship all the time in, in Israel and here when we've come back here for the ministry that we had started. So my first two albums were really centered on praise and worship, and there were Hebrew and English songs. And Alan really kind of rescued those projects for me in bringing a lot of his um, expertise in guitar playing and arrangements and just making it super cool. Um, but the third project was going to be our project. And um, so when we were in the studio, we would be writing and we were writing a song. And the song started like he started getting this very like deep, um, haunting melody and I started feeling like these deep words, you know, and I'm going, gosh, why am I writing this song? You know, heard the cries of war, um, saw the fear in the eyes of a child, felt the sting of death, you know, where has love gone? And I'm just going, God, what is, you know, why am I writing this? But I thought maybe I was writing it, it was like a cry for general, um, what was happening in the world today. But it was after that album came out in October of 2011, my husband, who is not just an acupuncturist, he's a pastor, and we had started a ministry here in Washington in 2002. Um, he was searching online for, like, he's always looking for worship Christian music, and he heard a song by Luke Dowler called Our Silence is Shameful. Actually, it was a music video. And he watched it and he just started like crying. And I'm like, what is going on? And apparently this video was very simple, but at the end um, it showed a girl, she's in a, in a truck 
and she's being a pickup truck. She's being forced, like, you know, you think that she's there on her own will, but she's not, about 14 years old, and you see her being forced into a house, and there's a bunch of girls in this room and, you know, locked up in there. And at the end, it gives the statistics of sex trafficking here in the United States. And we were just, he was amazed. He was like, honey, you got to come see this. And we had no idea this was going on here. We thought it was, you know, like in Cambodia, Thailand. Um, So he said to me, I think this is why you wrote that song. And we need to do a music video. And at the time, you know, we had just moved back from Israel. Our ministry was very small, um, still is, because <laughs> when we left, you know, we left, a bunch of people left after we left. So we didn't have a huge amount of resources. We had to raise money quickly. We hired a professional um, production company, and we did a reenactment of a typical traffic situation here in the United States to that song, and the words fit so powerfully. Um, it went on to earn Best Music Video at the International Awareness Film Festival of 2015 in Los Angeles. Wow. Is that a, a festival about trafficking? It's a festival of all, it's awareness film festival, so it's every possible okay. thing you can imagine under the sun. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you said that you had an experience that led into that song. So I didn't realize it at the time, you know, but my own experience was um, many years ago when after my husband and I got married, you know, and had been, we had moved from California to Columbia, Maryland, as I had shared, Um, we were newlyweds and to try to make it as, you know, without, without like taking too long. Um, we had been in the new age movement for a long time, for seven years. We had been searching, coming out. Well, at that time it was just a few years, but we had come out of all those drugs and party lifestyle and especially me. Um, my husband was drawn to helping people. He was, he just has that kind of, he just wants to always bring healing to people. And so he was always drawn to, to the things of the spirit. And so we both were like on this journey. And so, you know, we were like typical in the 80s, trying to find God, trying to find truth. We weren't, we wouldn't tell you, oh, we're trying to find Jesus or God. We were just looking for, you know, truth, power, love, our, all the things we wanted to know that our life made a difference. And so um, we went to a psychic <laughs> one day. I mean, that was typical. Like, you know, we, we did many things, many, many things, jumped off cliffs and walked on fire coals with Anthony Robbins and all kinds of stuff. So going to a psychic was just, you know, one more thing to try to find meaning of our life and purpose. And that day he had pretty much, you know, read our whatever, felt felt that our future involved um, moving back to Florida, where we both were from. And I kind of thought, that's weird. I spent my whole life getting out of Florida and now we're going to go back, you know, but something inside of us was like, okay, even though David had just started his practice, we had just bought a condo, but we just felt like, okay, well, maybe that's what we're supposed to do. Maybe that's the next step and we'll be back near family or whatever. So I put, um, all of our furniture for sale and, um, you know, we just thought, okay, well, we're going to take the next step. And I got a phone call one day and it was a guy saying he wanted to come look at the furniture. So I said, okay. And I set up a time with him 
and it happened to be that that, ta- that time and day that he was coming, my husband decided to come home for lunch at the last minute. I mean, he never came home for lunch because he was just building his practice and seeing patients whenever he could. And, um, but he came home and there was a you know, knock at the door. And so we let the guy in and he, we still remember he came in. He took like three minute look around and looked at us and he said, nope, I decided I don't want it. And so we were like, okay. And we both looked at each other and said, that guy was kind of weird, but oh well, you know. So the next day I got a phone call and it was this guy. And back then, you know, we didn't have cell phones, you had home phones and, um, he, and he basically said, oh, I changed my mind. I wanted, I decided I do want the furniture. Um, but I need your husband to help me, you know, carry it out. And I said, oh, well, he's not here right now. And so he said, okay, well, I'll call back and I'll come back this afternoon. I said, okay. So five minutes later, there was a knock at the door and I went and it was this person and he basically said, I decided I'm just going to come get it. And he shut the door behind him and locked it and then pulled a knife out at my throat and dragged me into the bedroom. Um, I was in such shock. I didn't even know what to do. I tried to grab the knife. I tried to scream. You know, he, he did everything. Uh, he tied me up. And um, while I was on the, he, I bit on the floor when he put me up on the bed. Um, I thought I'm going to die. This was, you know, basically, and I just didn't know what to do. I, I've never been in so much terror. I mean, you can imagine, you know, the terror that somebody's in in that kind of situation. And I remember turning my head and I saw the clock that was by our, our bed and it said 12 o'clock. And I was just like, okay, I don't know. I didn't know to call out to God, but I was like kind of, you know, if there's anybody out there, please help me. And um, out all of a sudden I... I literally heard, and I still hear it. It's just so awesome because it's like, it's like that eternal voice that I now know is the voice of the Lord, of Jesus, of God, the Holy Spirit. I, you know, I'm not sure which one who, you know, but I know it was him. It was God. And I, at that time though, I heard this audible voice in my heart and my, and I heard him say, tell him your husband's coming home for lunch. And I'm like arguing in my mind because I'm going, well, my husband is not coming home for lunch. you know. (laughs) And then I hear it again, tell him your husband is coming home for lunch. And literally I'm like shaking. He had, I think, taken the gag off my mouth if I would be, if I stopped screaming at that point. So I literally out of sheer terror, just these words tumbled out, my husband's coming home for lunch. Now, what's incredible is that David had been home the day before when he was there, which was so miraculous because he, I mean, had he not been, he wouldn't have believed that, you know? So the minute that I said that, he dropped the knife and um, basically, you know, hit me several times and then left. And, um, I was able to get out of the ropes, call my husband. I was in sheer terror, you know, he, I could hardly talk and he knew. So he came running home and, um, you know, I was joking with you earlier, but I do say there could have been two crimes in Columbia that day (laughs) because David went running after him. I think he was going to kill him, but, um, he, uh, we ended up, you know, calling the police obviously. And then I, 
took, took me to the hospital. And the miracle out of that is that in the hospital, the doctor came out and told my husband, um, did you know that your wife is like six weeks pregnant? And, you know, I didn't know. Um, and so at that, he said, yeah, this is what's amazing is that not only is she okay, but she's not miscarrying because she's in shock right now and her body is kind of shut down. So that today is my son, who is a Columbia Law professor and an entrepreneurial um, consultant in uh, just, he's incredible. So I just think to myself, wow, you know, isn't that amazing how there is a very real devil, um, enemy, whatever you want to call him, and he does come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he, you know, was all about not just stealing my destiny, but the destiny of the seed of my womb, you know, my son, my child. So, um, yep. And, uh, amazingly, you know, I, out of that, so many years later, in answer to your question, um, I had no idea at that time. I couldn't even talk about it for a long time because I was so in so much fear. I mean, I, I constantly had anxiety, you know. In fact, that's one of the things that God really healed me of in a big way. When I did come to know the Lord about um, three years after that experience, um, what was so powerful is that I heard his voice again. It was the same voice, and that's how I recognized that it was Jesus. And um, Because, I mean, I'm Jewish, you know, so I always joke like, you know, Jesus is not very kosher in the... (laughs) I mean, even though he was the most kosher, you know, he was the greatest Jew and is, you know, he's coming back as the king of Israel. Um, But because religion has done so much and so much has been done to Jewish people in the name of Christianity, you know, horrible things that it's hard for Jewish people to see. So I never grew up, you know, I mean, that was like the last thing I ever, ever in a million years imagined, um, you know, that would, that God would make himself so real like that to me in that way, you know. Um, But it's been a powerful life journey of knowing him without growing up in a church, just knowing him so real from saving my life. You know, he literally saved my life, Mm -hmm. you know. Wow. So what what was that transition like from Christianity? I mean, from, you're still Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. So to into Christianity, (laughs) believing in Christ. Yeah. Um, And then... Yeah, like how did, what was that transition like? So, you know, I mean, very hard for my family. Um, I mean, can you, you can imagine a lot of, it was very, very traumatic. In fact, I didn't have any relationship with my family for a year. Um, You know, I believe that love always breaks every hard area, tough area, um, pain. And I think the love for my children, um, you know, outweighed all of the pain that they felt that, you know, the, um, what do you call it? Um, I can't think of the word right now, but we're like betrayal, betrayal, um, the betrayal that I think they felt. And, um, but, um, you know, what I tried to, and my husband and I have tried, cause he's Jewish too, the same thing, um, is that, you know, receiving Yeshua, Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, um, that's what he heard growing up, you know. We 
we didn't, it wasn't like we just said, okay, we're not Jewish anymore. And we don't know. It was like, for us, it was like a full coming around circle of like, wow, that's what the Passover meant. Or that's what that, you know, it was like your eyes lighting up to see things in ways that you never understood because it was always like a religious thing. But then all of a sudden you see the reality of, of him in everything, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh. So for us, you know, that's why David has written, he's written four books on, um, on really that perspective of seeing God through the, like the integrative, holistic approach of his Jewish roots and uh, biblically and also in every area of our lives, physically, emotionally, spiritually, you know. Uh, where can we find his work, his, his books? Oh, man, he, you can get his books on um, our ministry website, which is org, And that comes from Ephesians, where, um, you know, God talks about that there's no longer Jew or Gentile, but we are now one new man in Christ and Messiah. So, yeah. So that came out of a lot of our time in Israel. So while I was writing songs... Um, he was starting to write his books and um, yeah, that all flowed together. Wow. What took you to Israel? Oh my gosh. So we, we came to Seattle first in 2002 from Florida because we had gone back to Florida thinking Florida will be our life, you know, and then after about 16, 15, 16 years, 15 years, um, that my oldest son, the one that you know, I was sharing with you about ended up getting a job offer from Microsoft at the age of 15. It's a long story. It's an amazing story. And we just felt like, okay, we're on an adventure. At that time, we had four kids. My youngest was just 20 months. And um, we decided to come out here and um, start a new life. And uh, we started a ministry, not because we wanted to, (laughs) but because it was like, okay, this is, I know what we're supposed to do now. And, um, we started in our home, and it just grew and grew and grew. David taught on the feast. He taught on covenant. Um, we started, I started leading worship, writing songs. Um, he started his acupuncture practice here, too, as part of the ministry. And then we started taking tours to Israel, and our tours grew every year. By, by the fourth tour, we were, like, at 40 people on the tour or more, and David just one day on the Sea of Galilee, we were out there and he was praying and he felt like the Lord was saying, you know, I want you to come build a healing center here and um, bring healing to my people. And so we literally took that scripture where Jesus said, sell all and follow me (laughs) twice. We did it first from Florida to here, not knowing anybody. When we came here, we didn't know a soul, literally not one person. And then we did it again and went to Israel, though, this time, like, you know, halfway around the world. And uh, we did. That's what we did. We just... What was year was that? 2006, two weeks before the Second Lebanon War broke out. Oh, wow. And um, we were finding ourselves in bomb shelters with our kid. My little baby was five, and five and a half, and my, all my kids, yeah, we were just... At that time, our oldest was ready to go. He was studying at Hebrew University, and then we had two other children, younger who were in school, but we moved everything, and um, that's what David did, and we built a, heal- we didn't build, but we rented a space, a healing center. He was able to um, bring that integrative health to a lot of Israelis, Jews, Arabs. He was able to share, pray with people, um, lead a couple to the Lord, um, and um, we 
What is that healing, like a healing center, as you call it? What does that look like? Is is it like a medical healing? Yeah. So he's actually a licensed. He practices acupuncture, and um, which that's a phenomenal subject. He practices a real unique form called five element acupuncture, which has been known to help people in so many things. It's amazing, um, physically, emotionally, addictions, everything. So. Um, but he also it does nutrition. He does counseling. He um, has a degree from Harvard in counseling in um, psychology. So he brings kind of a, a light, that integrative approach to healthcare um, in that regard. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's what you brought to. to so we did that there, and we also had ministry in our home. Israel has a lot of home-based ministries, and we also worked with other ministries there. Worked with um, ministry. We brought a whole program from the United States um, of um, seminars, family foundation seminars, family foundation international. Craig and Jan Hill. We brought those. We translated those into Hebrew there. Um, with the help of our son. And then, um, yeah, and so we did a lot of that work for four and a half years. And after that, you know, it was either going to be, our kids were all at that point where they were going to have to go in the army. Well, my youngest were still 10 and 11, but my daughter, my oldest daughter was uh, 16 and they were already, you know, getting ready to recruit her for the army. And we were starting to have like, okay, God, is this where we're going to be the rest of our lives? And that means all of our kids are going to, you know, my I mean, we're not going back, or is there something else? And we were having kind of like a stirring in our spirit, and we prayed, and we really felt like that season had come. We were there to do what we were supposed to do, but we needed to come back. The ministry that we started here was still going on. We had very faithful, very faithful friends and um, real community people that were carrying it on, even though it was small, but... We missed them, they missed us, and we just felt like it was time to come home. And that's when we came home in the beginning of 2011. That was when I did that third album with Alan. And when the whole thing towards the end of that year started with just uh, sex trafficking awareness. And that began a whole, you know, new ministry in 2012 for um, survivors. Okay. And so, so you're saying a new ministry since 2012, what does that look like? I mean, part of it, I'm sorry, like part of the ministry that we're doing through One New Man, but we expanded into creating a, um, a specific nonprofit for survivors called Destiny House Restoration Center. And so what happened was we did that music video, Where Has Love Gone? But when we did that, we had a huge opening for it in Bellevue um, at a church and we had... Um, Max Strong from this, who was uh, used to play for the Seahawks, okay. and we had Reagan Dunn, um, City Council. We had all kinds of. In, uh, we had several other anti-trafficking organizations there. We had the cast and crew from um, the music video, the director. We had several hundred people came out. We um, did a concert. I did a concert. Um, I had a guest band there, and then we showed the video. Um, and we felt like we needed to have a focus for it, so we created this foundation to help girls. Okay, is that foundation still going? Oh yes, it's still going. 
we have not raised enough money um, to, we need a lot of money to open, to have a property here. The real estate is so insane. You know, if anybody listening wants to donate a property to us, that would be great. Um, but we haven't raised enough to open our full-time program because we need a home, we need staff, we need, you know, the actual physical property. So what we've been doing, what I've been doing for seven years is um, bringing awareness through my music, concerts, seminars. Um, we work with survivors in placing them in programs that are open. It's very hard because there's not enough. Um, and, um, yeah, we act as an advocacy also for them and um, raise money to try to get our program going. Okay. Wow. And people can find that at the One New Man. Well, that's another website. Okay. Destinyhouserc.org. So since 2012, um, what's the, the time been looking like? Since 2012, that's really been the time where I've poured into Destiny House and my music. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we started after I released this album, You Found Me. Um, that album really opened up a whole new world for me as an artist because um, musically, it's really amazing with Alan on, you know, having done from he brought his own band in. Um, it had a f several songs on there that could be I mean, there's it's a Christian album but there are several r&b songs on there that don't mention the name god or jesus which i wanted intentionally and i still love that because i wanted to be able to bring it's like that thing preach the gospel and if necessary only use words so i wanted to bring an opportunity into places that wouldn't net let me come in any other way. And so um, that's when I really started gigging, actually, in 2000 and I think 12, 13, 14. I started um, performing at festivals, um, coffee houses, um, and I could do those songs. And I loved it, you know, and, and people loved it. And I still I still do them. Um, from there, I've always tried to make it um, on purpose on each of my albums, um, at least two to three songs that are not Christian songs. They're just um, inspirational songs that make you feel like, ooh, I want to know more about what you're singing. Yeah. So it seems that you went from writing with your husband, so you're writing very worshipful songs yes. for your own community. Yes. And then you transitioned into writing um, songs with Alan that were um, outside of your immediate community and to reach other people. Um, and then now you're nominated for a multi-genre award. Yes. Um, and one of the songs that we worked on is um, See the Scars, that we did a video for that, um, a small video for that, which is kind of country. I love it. Yeah. So let me tell you about that. Why? Because I actually, I think I have some, I have some country in me, but um, I'm not a country artist at all. But my fourth album, Songbird, um, which was dedicated to the girls who never come home again, that you never hear about from, you know, it's tragic, but it's true. Um, I had the incredible, I, I had, well, I wasn't able to work with Alan Stone anymore because he had gone on to become super famous. So I had the incredible door open for me to go to um, uh, Franklin, Tennessee, outside of Nashville to work at the Castle Studios. I got to have um, Nashville artists like 
Gor- studio sessions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So even like um, Chip Davis, who is um, one of the background singers for the band Alabama, he sings on a couple of my songs. Um, uh, Gordon Moat, who is like one of the most well-known keyboard uh, players in all of Nashville. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. So they took a couple of my songs and arranged them to make them sound country. Let Love Rain Down Tonight is real. It's just so good. It's like singer-songwriter modern country. Okay. A song I wrote for my husband is another one on that album. Um, I got to do the title cut there, Songbird. So that kind of birthed in me this like, ooh, I love, I want to do more country. So when I wrote See the Scars, I just, I took it to uh, Matt, who... Uh, Turgeon Matt Turgeson. Yeah. yeah. And I told Matt, I said, I kind of want to make this a little country. And they did such a great job with the slide guitars. Um, of Taylor. course, Taylor. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, I did such a great job. So, yeah. So that's how that that's how that came about. I wanted another country song. Yeah. Well, it's a, <laughs> it's a great song. <laughs> Thank you. And then the other song, too, we loved. Multiple people that I've shown the video to. Yeah. Um, and you said this, too. Yeah. Ask if you're a Celtic singer. Yeah. And how long have you gotten that response to your music? I have had that question asked for me in the last, um, I did, so my, my next album, Where I Belong, there was a couple songs on there where people have asked me, you sound a little Celtic, Uh, maybe on Songbird too. Um, And at first, like, a couple of people said it and I thought, really, you know, that's kind of funny. And I, of course, we love Enya. Um. But when we did To Be Loved in the studio, um, and then Matt brought in, um, I forget the gentleman's name that did the synths, but he did a great job with it. But that really made it, it like opened up. And then my vocals, um, kind of the whole feel of the song, afterwards, several people said it. You And you had several people say it. And... I thought, oh my gosh, yeah, it really does. It really does have that. It wasn't intentional. It was just kind of the way that it went. And I love it. I just think it it brings this um, deep feeling inside of... Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if I told you this, but Ocean Shores actually, which is where we filmed the video, they have the largest um, Celtic music festival. I had no idea. On the West Coast. (laughs) Um, That's crazy. So yeah, in it's actually an amazing little um, bar there. It's called Galway Bay Pub. Oh wow! Maybe we'll get to play that song. Yeah, there. yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I thought I'd share that with you. And yeah. I think I have. Well, I'm excited for you and your music, and to see where it's gonna head off to. You're performing a lot now. I am performing. This year has been amazing. Like. I mean, I've always tried to do, you know, to gig whenever I could. I took a, I took a couple years off of not heavy because I had just so much going on in my life and with Destiny House. But the last year and a half, I felt like, oh, I'm really missing that. I think as an artist, there's something about live performing that really causes you um, to get better. Um, I mean, it's the same kind of thing where you're in the recording studio with musicians who are like off the charts and you, you know, for me, I've cried at times, like right there going, I can't do this. (laughs) And then you realize, yes, you can. You just, you know, you have to be around. I think it's important to be around 
people and situations that cause you to get better, to improve, to grow. Um, and, you know, like Derek Hoyam, who, who has um, produced a couple of my albums, said, you know, you should always get better from project to project. Um, and I, I love that wisdom. And it's the same thing in performing. And so in the last year, I think because I've been able to take several of my songs, like See the Scars, like To Be Loved, like these other songs from my other albums that are bridge songs in that regard, inspirational, feel good, um, bring some meaning to people's lives kind of songs, um, it's opened up a whole world of opportunities for us to gig at places that I'm just so excited about. And we get to incorporate some of my favorite artists, you know, because I'll, I'll do cover songs um, that I just love. And I have an amazing band now. It's taken a year. Um, but I'm so blessed with my band. Um, they're just incredible. And so, yeah, we're, we're um, performing at 13 Coins regularly. Very grateful to be on that rotation. We're performing at several wine places. We're, um, yeah, it's just awesome to see what's happening. So I'm very thankful. That's awesome. Yeah. Where can folks find you and your music? Um, you can find me, of course, anywhere on Apple Music, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, um, you can. I would be grateful if you downloaded, streamed, add me to your playlist. You can obviously find me at my website, lisamitz.com. I'll send you a free download if you'll visit the site and fill in your email information. I'll add you to my special group of fans and friends. And um, yeah, and then of course follow me on. I'm everywhere on social media, so I'm on Instagram, Facebook. It's L I S A. M-I-T-T-S. Lisa Mintz. Yeah, thank you, Shane. It's so great. I'm, I'm excited. And by the way, we're talking about doing another video together. So We are, yeah. So stay posted <laughs> for that. We already have it half shot. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited for Wait, that. And I'm, I'm getting ready to um, produce another, to record another song. Really? Yeah. And oh. I really want to do, I'm, I got to talk to you after. We got to talk about that one. Okay. Too. That's yeah. just, Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining me. Thank you. And we'll talk to you again sometime. All right. Upon editing the podcast, I realized that some important information was left out. Was Lisa's attacker caught or was he still free? We had discussed this before the interview and somehow it was missed when recording the interview. Shortly after the incident, an informed citizen called the police. The suspect was apprehended, charged, and convicted. Thank you for joining us on this episode of American Podcast. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. This is Shane Simonson signing off. Until next time.